0: Gentlemen, the Brit pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And uh, first off, Sandu, did you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday? Because I did. I'm running on two hours sleep because my kids woke me up at six o'clock after I went to bed at four, and I'm a broken
1: man right now. I'm hoping you're feeling slightly better than I am. I did actually watch it. I didn't watch it with any kind of backing for a team. I guess the big storyline was. The old guard versus the young gun, right? Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady, and I'm sure we're going to get it into a little bit on today's show. But the whole idea of you know the the wily veteran taking on the young up and comer that was a storyline and a narrative that was fairly interesting for me. And on this occasion, Brady, who I guess is the goat in uh, in the NFL when it comes to quarterbacks, done, does it again. And, you know, I'm not the biggest NFL fan. Um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have too much information or too many opinions to share with regards to the history of the NFL. But from a casual's perspective, Tom Brady is some QB, isn't he? He is, he is the man. He is the man. I mean, here's the thing.
0: He's got more Super Bowls than two of the most dominant Super Bowl teams in history, the New England Patriots and the and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He personally has more Super Bowls than those teams, which is insane to think. Mad. He, um, but yeah, that that game was supposed to be a real shootout between Mahomes and Brady. But Mahomes was injured, and all of his offensive line were injured. They had a load of substitutes in. They were all playing out of position, and they just couldn't stop the Bucks. And it ended up ended up being a bit of a one sided blowout, which was a bit of a shame for someone staying up to the early hours of the morning. Uh, Mahomes was doing everything he could, but. Yeah, they, it just didn't quite work out. And as for the halftime, I've tweeted it. The Happy Mondays. Give me the Happy Mondays over the weekend. That's what I'm saying. The Happy Mondays would have been... Can you imagine Sean Ryder and Bez doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl?
1: It'd be Listen, X-rated, gonna, but it'd be brilliant. I'm not going to put too much hate on the weekend. You know, Toronto's very own, representing Canada. And for me, I'm actually a fan of the weekend. And look, look this wasn't exactly on the level of a Beyonce or, or a Prince or, or a Michael Jackson. But I thought I thought he did a good job, and he you know he belted out all of his hits. And who who's to say that there weren't some COVID restrictions with regards to what he could and couldn't do from a showmanship perspective, from a spectacle perspective, maybe having a few guests involved and, and all the rest of it. But I can't hate on my fellow uh, Canadian resident. Look at you! You've yet. got native Sander. You've got native. Listen, I have to rep three three nations in the world the UK, India and Canada. So that's where my allegiance lies. There we go. There we go. I'm going to have to talk NBA
0: with you at some point. I'm going to start. I've decided I'm going to put some effort in and try try and get into watching NBA. I from watching the last dance I'm like I really need to be watching this sport. Um and uh, I I have yet to pick a team. So listen. Um,
1: not 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 easy uh, following the NBA. If you're if you're living in the UK, it's one thing to stay up on a Saturday night watching a UFC card. It's a whole other ball game to follow a team and and watch them two to three times a week, or or trying just to keep, you know keep up with what's happening uh, with, with regards to the live broadcasts of games. So, more power to you if that's something that you're willing to do this year. I I don't sleep anyway. You know me. I'm like a
0: vampire. <laughs> so it doesn't. You know, I might as well have something on the telly if I'm not if I'm not actually uh, pushing up the Zeds. But the point you made, actually, was a very good one just a minute ago. The old guard versus the young guns. And that was the real narrative that carried through the main event and the co-main event at UFC Fight Night 184 on Saturday at the UFC Apex. We had Alexander Volkov. I don't suppose you can call him a young gun, but he certainly is young compared to Alistair Overeem in terms of experience within the sport. The Ream is quickly hurtling towards 100 professional fights. As a combat, as as a professional combat sportsman, so um, he he was on his final run towards a UFC title shot until he ran into Drago in the main event. Uh, Volkov looked really good, really good, loaded up on his shots, stopped him in the second round. Over him looked like a broken man at the end of that fight, and um, Volkov's saying he's ready for a title shot. He wants a title shot. That's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. But he's in the mix, but let's talk about the ream first, Sandu, because there was a lot going into this fight. It was kind of win or bust for him. And not only did he lose, he got, he got finished. Um, so where does this, where does this put him now? Cause he hasn't announced his retirement at this point. Um, it sounds like he might, he might actually keep things rolling, but I don't, I don't really know. I mean, surely he's got enough money tucked away. Uh, he seems like quite a shrewd man. Um, He's had, a lot of comp- he's, he's
1: had a lot of fights, a lot of fights. Why why carry on at this point? That's a great question, Simon. Maybe for the love of the game. You know, you talk about him and his illustrious career. One of only, I think, two active fighters to have competed in the last four decades. 1990s, 2010s, also the 2000s, the 2010s and, and the 2020s. Had he won on Saturday he would have put together his best win streak since he last ended up fighting for the title. So this was massive. He's currently ranked number five in the UFC rankings. So a win would have, you know, put him comfortably within the top five, maybe, who knows, number three, number four, or something like that. He's now probably going to go in the opposite direction, more, you know, closer to the top ten. Now, he didn't retire, but I feel like, sooner or later, there's going to be another Alexander Volkov that the Ream's going to run into. And I think we saw a weathered veteran who perhaps can't take the punching power and, I guess, size youth exuberance of a 32-year-old heavyweight. And, And like you said, Simon, it's not as if Volkov's a spring chicken, but when it when you talk about heavyweights, when you start to enter your 30s, that's essentially when heavyweights enter enter their prime. And an Overeem's gonna turn 41 later on this year in May. So he's obviously not in his prime anymore. It's obviously a little tough to see someone that's a massive name in the sport who's done so much. Um, and it was obviously you know a fan favorite. Get beaten like that, but you got to give all the credit and tip your hat to Alexander Volkov because he really put it on Alistair Overeem. I mean, I think the damage was done in the first round, and it was just a case of when, at what point in the second round, would would the punches be enough? And I think it was a good stoppage. I saw some people say, "Oh, it was an early stoppage." I thought the referee did a really good job um, preventing Alistair from taking any more damage that he than he needed to. And I tell you what former bellator champions have had a really good start to 2021 we saw michael chandler's debut a couple of weeks ago here we have alexander volkov who you know stumbled a little bit not too long ago but now he's put together another win streak he's got a good resume with some you know victories over some big and former champions and he is definitely someone to keep an eye on in regards to a future heavyweight title uh, title contender
0: yeah definitely he uh yeah he's getting better with each fight and, and for someone who he's, he's pretty much a volume striker Volkov, but he he really looked like he was loading up on his shots, uh, against Overeem. And they really did seem to sort of make their way through the guard. and, And, and they really did seem to hurt Overeem. Overeem was on a good run of form. Um, but we need to look at the man's record. You know, he's had 67 professional MMA fights, 47 wins, 19 losses, of those 19 losses, Sandu, 15 of them have come by knockout, and all eight of his UFC losses have come via KO or TKO. That, when you're a heavyweight, is 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 a concern. You have to be honest. I think, you know, brain injuries and all the rest of it. You know, he's not being he's not being caught cold by. Uh, you know, a fellow flyweight or anything. You know what I mean? You know, these these are the biggest, heaviest dudes that you'll find in combat sport. And they're fighting with these little four-ounce gloves on. Um, and uh, he's taking a lot of shots now. He's taking a lot of shots. And uh, I just hope for his sake that, whether he continues his career or not, that, you know, he doesn't end up with 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 the legacy of too many KO defeats. Um, he took a lot of shots in that fight on Saturday night. And it was, it was kind of sad to see someone who once completely tore through the field in a K-1 Grand Prix tournament, um, looking looking as, as beaten as that. I mean, obviously we've seen it before with the that infamous Francis Ngannou knockout that sort of threw his head back like a Pez dispenser that, you know, one of the most iconic knockouts in UFC history. Overeem's got some big finishes on his record as well. You know, beating Brock Lesnar on his debut was, was pretty special. Um, and uh, knocking out Mark Hunt was pretty special as well. You don't do that very easily, but, yeah, it really is hard to see quite, quite where Alistair over him goes from here. Maybe he thinks he can just bounce straight back, pick up another big win, and he's back in the mix again. But um, whatever does happen, it looks like Alexander Volkov is there or thereabouts. And what I was going to ask you, looking at that heavyweight division right now, there's been a lot of matchmaking that has gone on in that heavyweight division lately, Sandu. So we know that Francis Ngannou, is going to challenge Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight title at UFC 250. We know that Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis are going to throw down in just a couple of weeks' time in Las Vegas. We also know that Jairzino Rosenstroke, who's ranked third, is going to take on seventh-ranked Cyril Gann uh, a little bit later on as well. That might even be on 260 as well. I'm just trying to think. Uh, Actually, no, I think that's a fight night uh, event. But what that means is Volkov doesn't have an obvious dance partner. He hasn't got anybody immediately above him. And if you look at the people ranked relatively close to him, below him, Shamil Abdurakhimov is eighth. I don't think he's in Volkov's class. Augusto Sakai, I don't think he's in Volkov's class. So maybe Alexander Volkov is the man to welcome John Jones to the heavyweight division. What do you reckon?
1: I don't think so, Simon. Uh, if I'm John Jones and I'm the UFC, I'm saving John Jones for the winner of Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic because that is just there's too much money on the table in terms of a blockbuster pay-per-view offering John Jones very first fight at heavyweight going to get so much attention so much buzz and I just don't think you just do a John Jones Volkov pay-per-view main event and you know how the UFC assignment very very rarely will we see a pay-per-view headlined with a non-title fight um I think Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz and I just don't couple of fighters that are the exception to the rule there in terms of guys who have kind of you know got away with that but i tell you what i think you can do and maybe perhaps what the ufc should do with volkov he's got two losses simon on his resume during his run in the ufc and it's against the two guys that are going to be fighting fairly soon it's Derek lewis and curtis blades now alexander volkov's on a two fight win streak So it's not as if he's on this incredible win streak and he's knocking on the door right now to fight for the title. And with regards to how we think the year is going to shape out with Miocic and and John Jones, and then most likely you've got the winner of Lewis and Blades, there or thereabouts, going to be knocking on the door for a title shot because they are currently ranked ahead of Volkov. I think what you do with Volkov is you give him the loser of Lewis versus Blades because then that becomes a rematch for Volkov to get that one back but it also means that the loser of Blades versus Lewis is going to jump into a situation straight away where they are fighting someone who's literally in this in the same sphere with regards to where they are ranked and it's fighting some and they'll be fighting someone who's coming off you know some momentum and someone that's building on, on a win streak. And also there's a history there. So I think it's the loser, not the winner. You could do the winner, but I think whoever, you know if Lewis and Blades, whoever wins if Lewis and Blades, they're not going to be thinking, let me fight the guy I just beat not too long ago again. So I don't think that's going to make sense for them. So for me, Volkov fights the loser of Lewis versus Blades later on this year. If he can get past that test, that will be a three-fight win streak for him fighting against someone that's ranked ahead of him, and then he'll really be in the mix um, for a a title shot at some point down the road. What do you think? I like it. I like it. It's good. The heavyweight division has got a bit of intrigue
0: to it. There are some, you know, it has been a little bit slow and static in the past, but it feels like there's a bit of heat now. We've got, You know, we've got that title fight uh, between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou, which that is also a rematch, of course. Um, and who's evolved quite significantly since that first meeting. So really interested to see how that goes. But there are contenders beginning to jostle, uh, jostle for position. And there's John Jones about to join the division. So this could be a really exciting year for the heavyweights in 2021. So uh, I think the best thing for Volkov is to turn around to the matchmakers and say, give me two months and then I'll be ready to go again. Give me two months and I'm back. Give me anybody in the top five. Just keep me in the mix. And I think that's the best thing for him to do. If he's competing and winning, he's going to be in there. He will get a shot at the belt at some point. Um, I think a two or three fight win streak, or sorry, three fight win streak is probably going to be enough to get him in there. I think if he gets a big win next time out, he's going to be right on the cusp of getting a title shot. Someone else who wants a title shot, Sandu, is the man who won the co-main event, Corey Sanhagen, who I've always felt that this man hasn't had the respect on his name that he really deserves. You know, he, he might not be the most recognizable figure in the UFC bantamweight division, which, let's face it, has got a lot of very big personalities, a lot of recognizable names in it. And maybe Corey Sandhagen isn't the most um, gregarious personality. He hasn't got the long-decorated UFC career of a Jose Aldo or a Frankie Edgar. Um, and he's not as well-known as some of the other guys in the division. But this man is on fire. You know, his only defeat came uh, in a bit of a a bit of a shock result, really, against Aljamain Sterling, where he just got caught and got submitted at UFC 250. Other than that, he's been perfect since he's joined the UFC, you know, and, and it's been, with the exception of, I think, John Lineker and Rafael Asuncao, it's been finishes. Um, you know, he finished Austin Arnett, Yuri Alcantara. Then he beats uh, Mario Bautista. Then he's got the two decision wins. Lineker and a Assuncao loses to Sterling. And everyone's like, ah, maybe maybe he isn't a contender after all. Bounces back with a brilliant finish of Marlon Marais. And then on Saturday night, my goodness me, early contender for knockout of the year, Sandu. Unbelievable. Certainly a contender for one of the scariest knockouts of the year. Um, a flying knee knockout. That in and of itself is a spectacular thing. It was pretty scary watching the way Frankie Edgar went went down to the canvas and didn't move for quite a long time. I was I was more than a little bit worried for the man uh, after that incredible flying knee. It was you felt really conflicted watching it at the time. How how did you how did you view that when it all when it all played out,
1: mate? I lost my absolute mind because I was working obviously the BT Sports shift and up until that moment, the the broadcast prelims and the main card. While there was you know some very competitive fights not too many finishes, tons of decisions across the board on this particular fight card. And then you come to the co-main event and Corey Sanhagen takes 28 seconds to deliver a flying knee knockout over a name, the stature, the veteran of Frankie Edgar. And it just completely blew my mind. That clip went viral. and, And all of a sudden, there you go. You have your one big moment from this fight card, the one big talking point. I totally agree with you. Once I'd kind of calm down I guess from the moment of shock and awe at what he did that your attention then turns to oh crap Frankie's still on the ground he hasn't moved in a while thankfully you know he got up and you know he put out a social media post earlier on today he's back home you know he's he's been licking his wounds so to speak but man you just got to talk about Corey Sandhagen right now Simon because you're absolutely right apart from that the one loss to Aljamain Sterling he's been fairly impeccable during his UFC run tons of finishes he's got some great names on his resume now the, the, the last two I think are the biggest ones Marlon Morais, top contender and Frankie Edgar Simon that's the first former UFC champion on his re- resume that means a lot and you combine that and compound his performance with his post-fight promo melted my screen so on the money he first of all builds up the fact that you've got Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling fighting for the title very, very soon, and he puts himself right in position to say, "Hey, I'm going to fight the winner of that that one. I'll see you in July, and I'm going to knock you out, and I'm going four- to be a I'm going to be I'm going to be the next champion of this weight class." This is exactly what you want to see from fighters in the top ten who have big fights, whether it's a main event or a co-main event. They put on a performance like that, and then they use the platform to really lay the groundwork for a a future fight and get the fans and the media and everybody else excited about following their career moving forward. So 10 out of 10 for Corey Sandhagen. Just absolutely nailed it across the board. I'm so excited to see where he could go next because I think we're looking at a future champion here, Simon.
0: Yeah, he's got a bit of everything. He's got great submissions, but he's, he's a good striker. You know, he's a good striker. And as we've seen from his last two fights, he's got an eye for the spectacular as well. You know, Marlon Moraes was number one contender in that bantamweight division for a long time. And he just got put away by by, uh, Corey Sanhagen. And then you've got what happened at the weekend, Frankie Edgar, who is nobody's fault at any weight class. You know, this is a man who held the title at 155 pounds. Two full weight classes higher than he's actually competing at right now. And uh, yeah, he's been rocked a few times and he's bounced back. But my goodness me, there's no bouncing back from that. That, that, was, that was an absolute killer of a shot from Corey Sanhagen. The thing I also liked uh, from Corey Sanhagen was he addressed the elephant in the room, namely TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw is now free to come back and compete in the UFC. His USADA suspension is now over. He will be coming back. He wants an immediate title shot. And personal opinion... If you fail a you saw the drug test and you have to do a suspension, you don't get title shots on your first fight back. But there's no denying the man was one of the pound for pound top fighters prior to that suspension. You can argue the uh you know the legitimacy of that given what you tested positive for, EPO. Um, but he can't come back surely and challenge for the belt next. So San Hagen addressed that in the post-fight press conference. Made sure, let it be known that TJ Dillashaw. There's no chance that he should ever be challenging for the belt first time back. It would be an insult to the rest of the division. So he's done everything. He's covered all his bases. He's covered all his bases. He's covered the potential for the UFC, throwing Dillashaw in as a wild card. He's obviously covered the fact that he could face Sterling or Yan. Uh, he said he owes he owes one to Sterling, but he's also more than happy to go in there and take on PD Yan. And that bantamweight division is heating up very nicely. You've got other contenders knocking around. Cody Garbrandt. He's kind of set his sights on 125, but he's still ranked at number three. At Bantamweight, you've got Rob Font, who's in good good form. He's moving his way up. Again, not one of the bigger names in the division, but you've got to respect the man's form. Jose Aldo is still knocking around the place. Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera are fighting this weekend. So, And, of course, Dominic Cruz is still around, uh, albeit slightly lower ranked in the uh, in the division right now, but he's still very much a factor. So loads of big fights we can put on at 135 pounds on the topic of dillashaw sandu
1: who would you put him in with first fight back that's an interesting one simon um how about dominic cruz dominic cruz i think you know is someone that is still there or thereabouts looking for a big fight and he hasn't fought in a while himself and i think if tj dillashaw wants to come back and get like a big name it doesn't get any bigger than still arguably right now as things currently stand the greatest bantamweight of all time in Dominic Cruz and I think for for both of them that that could potentially be the one fight that then elevates you to title contention straight away on Dominic Cruz's side he's got the history he's got the resume he's got the status as a former champion and for TJ Dillashaw you just need that one fight you need that one fight over a marquee name or at least someone that's you know Um, in the top three, top four, top five of the division. So for me, I think I would do TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz. Um, And and obviously, you know, Dominic Cruz's background against uh, Team Alpha male guys, I think it could be uh, a lot of fun as well. So yeah, I think, again, I know Dominic Cruz is currently ranked outside of the top 10, but I feel like, you know, with a few years out of the game, this would be a good litmus test just to find out where TJ Dillashaw is now Now, he's off the gear, if you know what I'm saying. Well,
0: absolutely. And here's the thing. It would be a rematch, and it would be a rematch that TJ Dillashaw would want because TJ Dillashaw was the UFC Bantamweight champion, and then he got dethroned by Dominic Cruz. That was uh, one of the big performances of 2016. January 17, to be specific, in Boston, Massachusetts, Dominic Cruz comes back to win the UFC Bantamweight title for a third time coming back off a huge injury layoff again. Uh, he had that, I think he he got injured after the fight with Demetrius Johnson in 2011. He had three years away from the sport, came back, beat Takeo Mizugaki. And it's like, okay, Cruz is back. Then he had another issue with his other knee, that needed reconstructive surgery out for another year and a half. Then he comes back, fights TJ Dillashaw for the belt, beats him by split decision. And, uh, that's what really writes his name into the history books as the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. That's a rematch that would sell. That's a rematch. I think people would like to watch. And, uh, I think you have pitched it just about spot on Sandu. I mean, I think, I think he's ranked about 11th right now in the UFC bantamweight rankings. Uh, Dominic Cruz, Dillashaw obviously not ranked right now cause he's on a suspension. So, um, we'll see what they do for him next. But I think that's, I think that's the perfect, the perfect launch pad, uh, for either man. You know, whoever wins that can turn around and say, I just beat a former bantamweight champion. Give me a top five guy. Give me a top three guy. Um, You know, I can still do this thing. So interesting to see what happens next. You know, we talked about the heavyweight division being a lot of fun. Bantamweight is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Corey Sanhagen is leading the charge right now. Another fight on that card I wanted to talk to you about, Sandy, before we go on and talk about UFC 258. Uh, On the prelims, Molly McCann. Britain's own Liverpool's own Molly McCann uh stepped into the cage to face Brazil's Laura Procopio and uh the fight didn't go her way. Um she ended up losing the fight on the scorecards and then after the fight or during the uh the announcements of of the scores you could see her taking her gloves off. Which every time you see a fighter taking their gloves off you think okay they're either really unhappy about their performance and they just want to take their gloves off or there's something more involved. And then just as they were about to read the announcement, she popped the gloves down in the middle of the octagon. And I was like, no mole, don't retire now this, you know, come on. You know, I wonder whether emotion had got the better of her or, you know, she was just so disappointed that she decided to just chuck it in and, and, uh, so, you know what I'm done. And, uh, I know there were a lot of people online who were of, of a similar mind, but after the fight, it was, it was confirmed by Molly that now she, she isn't retiring. She was fighting on the on, on, on her late father's birthday. And uh she was doing it to honour her father. So there's a little bit of confusion there. Um and uh clearly a very emotional, very emotional night for her, and it didn't go her way. But I'm pleased to see that she hasn't she hasn't retired. She does need to bounce back with a win though. She's lost two on the two on the spin. She had a three-fight win streak prior to that but she's now three and three Sandu in the UFC. She lost her debut, I think to Gillian Robertson. And then she won three, got some good wins. I mean, you know, you, you, you take a look at the people that she's been in there with and beaten, uh, Ariana Lipsky, who has been tipped to do well, former KSW champion, you know, to go in there and beat her. That's a big win. Um, but now she's lost two straight Taylor Santos, unanimous decision, Laura Procopio, unanimous decision. And, uh, she really does need to pick herself up and get a win. And uh, you know, if anyone's going to be uh, really champion at the bit to get back in there and do the business, it'll be it'll be Molly McCann, Sandy, because she's uh, she's she's always high energy and great fun to watch.
1: She absolutely is, you know. And I'm glad they put her on the the prelims so that everybody back in at home in the UK could watch her fight at a decent um, hour. But you got to call a spade a spade. Simon, and you kind of alluded to it there. Uh, as you were talking about her resume, and she's 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Of her six opponents, only one of them has been someone that's currently ranked in the top 15, and that's Tyler Santos, who's currently ranked 13th, and she obviously lost to her. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a tough one because if you're not able to get enough wins over opponents that are outside of the top 15 what does that mean what does that tell you in terms of where you are with regards to hey are you going to be able to hang with someone in the in the top 10 you know it's it's a case of sometimes the ufc depending on the weight class depending on where the fighter is from in terms of you know you know region geographically from wherever part of the world they may spend some time with you and and kind of you know baby you in a little bit um but i just don't know if you know they're going to be that patient with molly moving forward she, she says all the right stuff you know she's obviously you know a firecracker of a personality as you would expect uh, from someone from from liverpool but a couple of losses now back to back i have to say if the ufc do give her another shot it's 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 a must win situation for her because i think a third loss in a row and that might be it for her run at this stage she's 30 years old um and and clearly there seems to be i guess um i guess a bit of an issue with regards to her ground game just being very blunt about it i think when it comes to boxing striking i think that's probably where she's a little bit more comfortable but when it comes to the grappling and, and wrestling exchanges um she's doesn't seem from what i've seen so far uh seem to get um you know much of her offense off and you know, she's not getting knocked out, you know, she's she's not, you know, exactly you know getting submitted or anything like that. Her last two losses have come by decision. Um, but yeah, she really needs to win on her next outing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh she was struggling with her strikes on Saturday because I think she had like a six and a half inch reach deficit to her opponent. I think you know, she she had to really step step through her opponent's punches to get some of her own landed, and um it meant that whenever she got into range. Uh, Procopio was just clinching and uh, it nullified so much of of Molly's game. So um, yeah, we wish her well. We hope that um, we hope that she can get herself back, back on the horse again and uh, hopefully get back in the cage for another one and see if she can see if she can write the ship next time out. Um, You know, it it means a lot to have British athletes in the octagon representing and doing well. And she is a, she is a a great role model for, for uh, female, mixed martial artists here in the UK and uh fingers crossed she can get back in there and get herself a win next time out. Now that was what happened this past weekend, but we've got our next big world title fight of 2021. Kamara Usman, Gilbert Burns, the welterweight title team, former teammate versus former teammate. This is a fascinating one, Sandu. I mean, Kamara Usman, he's a juggernaut, isn't he? You know, he, he does everything really well. You know, he's, he's just so tough. He's been in it. His cardio is outstanding. He went toe to toe for five full rounds with, um, Colby Covington before he, he finally finished him right at the end there. Nobody does that with Colby Covington. Kamaru Usman did, you know, he's been in there with some really, really tough competitors in that UFC world to weight division. You know, he, he, he bossed it against Jorge Masvidal, You know, he beat Tyron Woodley to win the belt. He's he's outpaced Rafael Dos Anjos, who is a cardio machine as well. You know, he's taken on Damian Meyer. You know, he's been in there with people who on paper, you think, okay, they're going to really push him. And he's won them all. He's never lost in the UFC. So is Gilbert Burns the man to beat him? A guy who knows him so well from training with him down there in Florida and a guy who has got world-class jiu-jitsu he's a former brazilian jiu world champion and he's got dynamite in his hands is he the x-factor do you think sandu are we going to see kamaru Usman pushed harder than we've ever seen
1: before when they get an occasion on saturday night i think so simon we haven't seen too many teammates compete in the ufc it's a very rare thing i think the biggest and best example that comes to my mind anyway is john jones versus rashad evans who are both teammates and friends over at jackson wink and then rashad ultimately when the fight got made decided to leave jackson wink and it didn't go his way in on this occasion i've just noticed henry Hooft, who's obviously the head striking coach um, and has worked with both of these guys in the past even though i believe now komaru is um with team elevation and spending a lot of time there if i'm not mistaken um i've seen him train with justin gaethje and the like over there but Henry Hoof still is, I think, not going to be involved at all. He's not going to be cornering either guy. He's not going to even be present at the event this week. So he's really kind of moved himself away from the the equation. It's fascinating because they are training partners and have been training partners for so many years. And, you know, ultimately, when you're in the same weight class, you know, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to be champion because when you become champion, uh, that's when the big paydays come into, situ- in, in, into the situation. And I tell you what, Simon, I've been so, so impressed with Gilbert Burns. He The biggest takeaway from Gilbert Burns' performances over the last couple of years is he's very aggressive with his offense. He is coming to finish you, he's coming to knock your block off. Um, and he, he keeps moving forward and he and really puts you on the back foot and really applies a lot of pressure. And I've been, like I said, I've been so impressed with, with what he's put together. It's 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 so unfortunate for Leon Edwards because while that whole situation last year with Leon Edwards and the London card fell apart, Gilbert Burns was the guy that kind of stepped in, you know, and fought a couple of times within a space of a few months. He fought in March, he fought in May, he was supposed to fight for the title on Fight Island, got COVID. Jorge Mazadal steps in on short, short notice, and and ever since then, I think there was there was a little bit of pressure on, you know, Gilbert should get another fight in because it was almost like he was now back in Leon's position, and the shoe was on the other foot. But he held his ground. They've made this title fight. Is he going to be the one to dethrone Kamar Ruzman? Bringing it back to your question, Simon, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. I'm picking Gilbert Burns to beat Kamaru Usman. It's 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 pretty much for the reasons I've, I've kind of laid out already. I, I really love his overall demeanor and offense and, and aggression uh, when he's fighting. And I feel like that's what you've got to do um, when, when you fight Kamaru Usman. And I feel like what Kamaru brings to the table in terms of his strength, his grappling, Gilbert Burns will have an answer for that you know, with regards to his jiu-jitsu. He's obviously felt Kamaru Usman a million times in training and in sparring, so he knows what he's getting himself in for. And also Gilbert Burns is pretty strong as well for the weight class. He's a big boy at 170 pounds. So yeah, Simon, I'm going out there on a limb. I'm saying it. Gilbert Burns is going to be the new UFC world weight Champion this weekend.
0: It's tougher to pick than a broken nose, this fight. I think it's really, really close. I think. I've think i gone on record on MMA Junkie. I've picked Kamaru Usman. Um, and it's mainly the championship experience. I think that just, just is, is that final, the final little X factor for me, he knows what it's like to have a five round war. Um, Burns has only done it once against Tyron Woodley. And that wasn't really a five round war. That was a five round beat down. You know, Burns won that fight easily against Tyron Woodley. Burns hasn't been put through the ringer for five rounds. He hasn't had the pace pushed on him for an extended period of time in a fight. um, we know that Kamara Usman can do that. And we also know that he can keep the pace with anybody. If you can keep the pace with Colby, you can keep the pace with anybody at 170 pounds. So I think that will be the difference maker. I think Burns is dangerous in the first three rounds. I think if he gets to the championship rounds, I think that's where we'll see Usman really, uh, really start to assert the championship dominance. But I think it's going to be a great, great fight to watch. And, you know, you talk about Burns being strong at the weight class. He is. He is. I mean, he competed at lightweight initially in the UFC. He suffered a few losses here and there, a couple of decision losses. And Then he got knocked out by Dan Hooker at UFC 226, an event that I actually I was at. Um, and that was back in a stage in his career where I remember Dan Hooker telling me uh, that week, he said, Gilbert Burns is falling in love with his punch power and he's going to suffer for it on, on Saturday night. And that's exactly what happened against Hooker. Hooker stood and traded with him. He's a much better striker knocked him out in the first round. He had a couple more fights at lightweight and then moved up to welterweight, and that's been a game-changer for him. He looks so much better at 170 pounds. He's filled out into his frame more. I think his cardio is better at 170 than it was at 155, but he hasn't had that consistency of being tested for that length of time under live ammo, so to speak, in a, in a UFC five-round fight. So, you know, he's gone the distance with... the uh, Alexi Konchenko. He's gone the distance with Gunnar Nelson, finished Meyer quickly, Damian Meyer, and then he went the distance in a one-sided fight against Tyron Woodley. There are question marks. Um, and because of those question marks, I've gone with um, Kamara Usman. But it's such a great fight. And it's a big fight for the gym. Sanford MMA, formerly Hard Knocks 365. You mentioned Henry Hoof there. I think he's, as you say, he's taken a step back. He's just going to let them do their thing and then when all all the business has been done they can all come back to the family again and move on but it's it must be really tricky for the gym to actually deal with all of this and uh but what it does show you is just what what an incredible gym sanford mma is they have got absolute killers in that training room across all the major organizations in the world one championship uh bellator ufc um they've got some of, the, some of the toughest, toughest fighters on the planet training on those mats every day. So um, that's, that's what breeds champions. And, uh, you know, whoever wins, it's going to be a champion for that gym. So I'm really looking forward to fight night. I think it's a, it's, it's a great matchup. I'm gutted, as you mentioned, for Leon Edwards, because I think if there'd been any justice in the world, he would have had his opportunity by now. But circumstances have have kind of conspired against him, really um and Gilbert Burns has gone in there and taken full advantage and he deserves his shot let's be honest he deserves his shot but I think it'll be and still on Saturday night Sandu before we wrap up taking a look at this fight card is there anything else that leaps off the page to you because to me it's a solid card but it really is all about that title fight for me
1: I completely concur with you, Simon. I think you could even say that heading into this past weekend's card, on paper, you take away the title fight out of the equation. That the card on paper we got this past weekend it was better than what we've got coming up this weekend. It it, it really is top heavy. I saw some you know stuff online about you know the UFC were really trying to get a, a big co-main event slot sort you of know, filled in um, in the last couple of weeks, and they were trying to maybe even get a quick turnaround for. Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, it ultimately didn't end up happening. But I'll tell you what, the, the one fight or one fighter that I'm looking forward to is Macy Barber. The UFC and Dana White in particular were big or have been big on Macy Barber before she ran into Roxanne Modafferi. She was undefeated up until that performance. And I can't believe it's already been over a year since we last saw her compete. And, and you know, that was a shock result when it went down. But she's in a situation here where she's going to be the co-main event on a, of, of a pay-per-view. Is it going to be the biggest selling pay-per-view of all time? Probably not. Just looking at the lack of star power on this particular card. Um, it is going to be interesting to monitor, though. I'm curious to see having Kamaru in a situation where he's last fought Jorge Mazadal, and that was like a, a massive pay-per-view, probably the biggest selling pay-per-view of, of 2020, to see how much of that rub sustains with him heading into this weekend's card and how it performs and what have you. But yeah, just to answer your question, Simon, uh, Macy Barber, can she bounce back from her first UFC and MMA career loss uh, and produce the goods once again and and get back on track?
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because not only is she looking to bounce back from her loss, she's looking to bounce back from a pretty major injury. She had a serious knee injury. Uh, She's now back having recovered from that but you know she's been out for a long time it's been a calendar year that she's been out for so can she go back in there she's in there with Alexa Grasser who I remember when she joined the UFC there was you know a fair amount of hype around her but she's alternated wins and losses throughout her UFC career she won last time out so if she follows form she should lose on Saturday night but we'll see how that goes against against Macy Barber the future the other the other fight I just wanted to quickly flag was uh, Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Hynish. Gastelum is the guy who pushed Israel Adesanya the hardest in that middleweight division. Their fight is one of the all-time classics um, in the UFC. Unbelievable fight. If you ever ever board, you've got nothing to do, pull up Fight Pass and watch that fight. Unbelievable fight. He's got Ian Hynish, who is as hard as nails at 185 pounds. Huge opportunity for him. Gastelum's form is not good. He desperately needs a win here. He really does. He's lost three straight all against elite opposition. He's lost to Adesanya. He lost to Darren Till. And then he got heel hooked by Jack Hermanson uh, last July. So he's a man absolutely desperate for a win to get himself back up there in that UFC middleweight division. And, uh, could you imagine if he loses four straight, Sandy, a guy who was right there, right there for the belt. And at one point was sitting at the side of a cage, holding a championship belt. Um, and, uh, now he's 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 on a three-fight skid. He needs to win on Saturday night. He's going to be one to watch for sure.
1: Yeah, the pressure is definitely on Calvin Gastelum, and um, and like you said, Simon, you know, four in a row, and that I mean three in a row in most cases, and and that's it. You're cut from the UFC. Losing four in a row, man, it'll, it'll be tough. It'll be really really tough for the UFC to keep him around, especially as they've already gone through a, a pretty big cull. Of, of, of fighters being let go from the roster and um yeah it's they're, they're in a situation where look we're in. i think the the sport as a whole the ufc in general is, is, in a, is in a much stabler and stronger position than a year ago heading into this virus and how to deal with it and, and all the rest of it but they are, i think you know they still don't have fans week in week out we got, we got a taste of it on fight island so that's one revenue stream that isn't available to them. They, they've cut a lot of fighters from the roster uh, to, I guess, balance the books when it comes to the wages. Um, and I, I don't think any fighter, to be honest with you, is, is safe, um, whether it's veterans, fighters that are big names but at the end of the contract, fighters that are on a current losing streak. Um, it, you you know, A lot of fighters are really fighting for their future UFC career You know, each and every single weekend when we're previewing these cards. So Kelvin Gastelum is a big one for this weekend.
0: Yeah, it's, you mentioned earlier about they were trying to get a, a big co-main event for this weekend. I can I can see that because you look at how lopsided these next two pay-per-views look. You've got the UFC 258 this weekend, one title fight. UFC 259, three title fights. PD and Aljamain Sterling is just on the main card. It's not even in the top two fights. Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson is your co-main. And of course Jan blahovic versus Israel Adesanya, champion versus champion for the 205 pound strap three title fights on that card so for anybody who's uh, looking to pick and choose their pay-per-views i think we know which one people are going to be buying and it if we're being brutally honest it won't be saturday night's one and for someone like kamara usman who as, as a champion will hopefully be getting pay-per-view points that's got to be a little bit disappointed i'm sure that's not uppermost in his mind right now but um i'm sure he would have loved to have seen uh a title eliminator, a lightweight title eliminator, a Chandler or someone like that in that co-main event, that would have been really good for him. But uh, not to be. But nonetheless, there are some decent fights on that card on Saturday night. And uh, that will be on at the usual time. Because it's Las Vegas. It's a pay-per-view. So it'll be 11.30 start for the early prelims in, here in the UK. TV prelims at 1.00. And then the main card will be 3.00 a.m on sunday morning so uh sand are you on pay-per-view duty this weekend or are you uh, you kicking back and checking
1: this one out i'm on duty i'm actually on duty for a lot of the upcoming ufc shows and um you know i took a bit of time off because i was kind of moving into a new house uh, so i didn't work on any of the fight island events but i'm rocking and rolling now my uh my my calendar's fairly full it's gonna be a busy busy few months with both ufc events and tons of wwe shows so yeah i got my plate full Perfect.
0: I think that pretty much wraps us up for February uh, Saturday, uh, sorry, Monday 8th of February. I don't even know what day it is Sandy. That's how bad <laughs> I should know that it's Monday because yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday, but uh my brain hasn't quite caught up yet. Uh February 8th, it is Pay-Per-View fight week. We have a title fight on Saturday night. Be sure to check that out. Before we go, Sandu hit him with the uh hit him with the usual.
1: Yep. So, Substack, The Brit Pack Dot substack.com if you want to get involved with the community over there. We're obviously available on Apple, on Spotify. If you go to Apple, we would love for you to give us a rate and review. That really goes a long way on uh, on our show, you know, helping our show being found on that particular platform. You can obviously also go to the Britpack.com, the rather, and from there we've got links to everything. The Substack, Apple, Spotify, you name it. The big one though is YouTube. Make sure you go to our YouTube channel. That is a massive project for us at the moment. Uh, you can find the audio only version of all of our shows. But later on this year, there'll be a video component to this show. We're gonna be creating some new content. YouTube is the Brit Packs big goal for 2021. So if you can do us a solid favor, find us on YouTube, give us a like, Subscribe to the channel now. Subscribe early and help us get off the ground. That'll be much appreciated.
0: Should be a good, good year for the Brit Pack in 2021. The UFC are up and running. The big fights are on their way. And the first really big one of February is Saturday night. Tomorrow, Usman, Gilbert Burns, welterweight title. We'll be back next week to talk about everything that happened on Fight Night.